Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready, set, vote. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock, and he's Jeremy Wallace. You can find me at quorumreport.com, and Jeremy's work, of course, appears at houstonchronicle.com and at the San Antonio Express News at expressnews.com. Jeremy, we are so close now, just days from people voting in person all across the great state. Yeah, absolutely. It is like so go time. You know, it's like even 100,000 people have already already voted you know, mm-hmm. just through the absentee mail-in voting stuff. So we are like well underway and things are happening now. You know, when it comes to early voting, uh, what you'll see, and this is just historically, is that there are a lot of people who will rush to the polls on Monday, their first chance to vote in person. And then after a few days, there'll probably be a little bit of a lull. And then you have the people that I would say are sort of procrastinators, but they're not they're not procrastinating enough to actually vote on Election Day. So then you'll have another sort of rush to the polls again right at the end. Um, and I'm wondering just what turnout is going to be like, Jeremy. We haven't talked about this that much on the show, uh, but I saw where Dave Carney, the political brain for Governor Greg Abbott, his, his chief political consultant, Carney had said that he expects them to be around uh, something like 10 million for voting. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, he said between 10 and 10 and a half million, you know, could be voting in this thing. And it seems to kind of line up with kind of what the trends have been like. Now, that would be record setting, by the way. That would blow away past midterm election cycles uh, by a long shot. We're talking by almost like 2 million additional voters. So that's a lot of extra people you know, come into the vote that have never voted for a Beto or Greg Abbott before, which adds that just like extra layer of what the heck's going to happen now. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to figure it out. Um, in, you know, in previous election cycles, and it was the great uh, Paul Burka at Texas Monthly years ago, one of the senior executive editors who had said that when a candidate is counting on new voters, th- there's a nickname for the candidate, loser. It, that almost never works out around yeah. here in Texas. Um, but you're saying that we have two million more people who may vote. And Carney is agreeing with this two to two and a half million more people who may vote than voted in the last midterm when we were around, what, eight, eight point four million, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so why wouldn't why wouldn't just the sort of um, consensus be or the, uh, you know, the general understanding be that we would have just as competitive an election as we had in 2018, if we're, or maybe even more competitive, if the turnout's going to be that much higher. That that's been kind of my thought all along. I just you know like like the polls are going to get in people's ways and they're kind of going about. But when you're on the ground and you're in places, you can kind of feel the different kind of feel out there. And then the the the, the hardcore it's the number. It's the number the number the two and a half million or the two two million extra voters that we have coming to that just changes the game. I think it's close. You know, it's like and we saw in 2018 a lot of the polls just did not have these races. You know, anywhere near as close as they wound up being and True. so it's like it's all it's all just you just add it all together and just like you know this is going to be a tight race you know both the Aurora campaign and the Abbott campaign are acting like it and mm-hmm. so i'm going to take my lead from them uh and now the game is can they get their people to vote it's one thing for people to say in a poll that they're going to vote but mm-hmm. it's another thing to make sure they get their butt into the actual polling location right yeah. So let me add something to that. If you have a race that's not close, let's let's let me play devil's advocate because it's part of what I do for a living. If you have a race that's more like six or seven points or 11 points, like some of these polls are suggesting now, part of that would be because of what you're talking about. Right. I mean, t- until proven otherwise, and I say this all the time, um, there are more Republican voters than Democratic ones in Texas. And it, it hasn't yes. been close, you know, in, in most cycles, of course, 2018 being the, the, you know, the big exception, the, the shining exception to that. Um, so if you see and I was telling some people yesterday uh, here in Houston where I happen to be, um, I was telling them that, look, I wouldn't be su- – I'm not predicting it, but I wouldn't be surprised if you had a double-digit race for governor because of some of the dynamics we're talking about. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I kind of really kind of dove deep into it in a story that will be running this week and on how the independents have moved away from you know Beto O'Rourke over the last few years after his presidential yeah. campaign. Mm-hmm. So that area where, it, like, you know, look, there are more Republicans than Democrats, but Beto in 2018 was able to pull some independent and more moderate type Republicans over. He's not pulling those people as well as he did, you know, four years ago. But the difference here is that Abbott's not either. Abbott's kind of lost some of his grip on the independence as well as right. he's gone further and further right. So it just adds this little question mark that I can't wait to see kind of how the voters kind of navigate this where, you know, Abbott might be too far right mm-hmm. and Beto went too far left maybe in some people's minds during the presidential right. and can either one of them kind of win that group in the middle or do those folks just sit this one out? You know, because well, if they don't like either one, they're not coming to vote. Right. And here's another way to think about it. In 2018, you had about a half million people in Texas who voted for both of those guys, right? right. You had about a half million people in November who in the Senate race voted for Beto and then in the governor's race voted for Abbott. And they can't do that again, right? Now it's the two of them in a head-to-head matchup. And so what I've been wondering pretty much ever since Beto announced that he's going to run against Abbott is what do those people do, Jeremy? Are Are they the people you're talking about who are sort of these independents who might just sit it out? Or are they going to gravitate toward one of the guys more than the other? Because look, there was a lot going on in that 2018 election that didn't have uh, that much to do uh, in some ways with Beto and with Abbott. In a lot of ways, it was informed by a larger political environment, which included backlash to President Trump at the time, backlash to Senator Cruz at the time. And you did have this guy O'Rourke kind of come out of nowhere. Most, Most people had never even heard of him before 2018. So you have 500,000 or so people in this state who said, you know what, in the Senate race, I think Cruz is too extreme to the right, and I don't like him for various reasons, including a lot of Republicans. And then in the governor's race, you had, I think, what has been charitably described as a weak candidacy by the Democrat, um, and also a governor, to your point, who at that point had not gone so far to the right. Yeah, absolutely. I've kind of phrased it as, you know, back in 2018, a lot of Republicans and well, a lot of voters just overall saw Abbott kind of more in the line of a John Cornyn and not as much of a Ted Cruz. Right. And now, like over these last couple of years, Abbott has kind of turned himself more into Ted Cruz to protect his right flank. And by doing that, he's kind of opened this lane that I think, you know, otherwise, you know, we wouldn't be talking about this as a close race at all. You know, if he hadn't moved where he had over the last couple of years, uh, especially in that last legislative session, if he hadn't done all that, I'm not sure we'd be talking about the same way. If we if he never signed a bill on, you know, abortion that bans it for everybody, including mm-hmm. for in cases of rape and incest, like if it, it, that just kind of opened an entirely different, you know, avenue for people who are disgruntled now with Abbott, who probably didn't care about him too much four years mm-hmm. ago, but now have a much more defined opinion of why they might be against him. You have so many fans in Houston, Jeremy. Um, I know that uh, some folks were asking you to pose, pose for selfies with them at a recent event. <laughs> and I only bring it up, not to not to embarrass you, but I can see your, your face is turning a little red. But I want you to know, we do have so many listeners in Houston, um, and I want you to know that because of this. So many are asking us to weigh in on the county judges race there. It's one that we have gotten into a little bit, uh, but this is a hot, nasty mess of a race. And I was on a show last week, a different show, where I was asked about it. They said, hey, this is local politics. Is it, you know, is it supposed to be this nasty? And my answer about Houston politically is always to say this. Houston is wonderfully nasty. It, 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 you know, I grew up politically in Houston, you know, working there in radio and you, you would have races where not only were there nasty attacks, but there would be candidates who didn't even exist. You would have, you would have um, all kinds of crazy tricks pulled in these races and all kinds of gross attacks in both, you know, camps, Republicans and Democrats. And this county judges race has gotten so nasty in the estimation of some people, and it's also gotten so close in the estimation of a lot of people. Now, look, in Harris County, I'll, and this will sound like the mirror image of what I usually say about Texas, in Harris County, we know based on the past couple of cycles that there are more Democratic voters than Republican ones, right? It's reversed, right, from the rest of the state. So I'd handicap it for Hidalgo, but that doesn't mean Mueller can't get there. So did you see on the last report, on their finance reports, Hidalgo, and I love this, by the way, anytime you're um, uh, reporting on campaign finances, I always say, 
that there are two really important numbers in there. And the first one is cash on hand and the second one is cash on hand. Right. That, that, that's what they have to deal, deal with, you know, for the rest. That's what's in the bank account for the, for the rest of the race. She had about $2 million in the bank and Mueller had more like more than 5 million, you know, something like that. And it's a lot of the business interests in Houston, Texans for lawsuit reform types and John now and people like that who are rounding up money, the big money types in Houston. I want to see, you know, a countywide office go back to a Republican. It was pointed out to me, by the way, that even if Republicans can win the county judges race, that the Republicans will still be in the minority on commissioner's court. So then you get to a situation like we had in Dallas years ago where the parties were starting to flip. And, you know, you had the Democrats on the court who were uh, running the thing uh, and uh, you, you had a sort of a Republican who couldn't do anything. So we'll see if that plays out in Houston. Here's an example of how nasty it is. And did you see the Mattress Mac TV ad? that uh, Alex Mueller is running. Oh, yeah. Mattress Mac, who I, you know, I grew up in the Houston area. Maya, I know, grew up in the Houston area. And we've all seen Mattress Mac screaming on TV about how he'll save you money. He's a legend in the community, has done a lot for the community. And I would say that unless he was in an attack ad against you, you would never probably want to say anything bad about him, right? Because Democrats and Republicans both like the guy, right? Even though he's he is a Republican and yeah. has been for a long time. That, that that part's not new, but he's a lot more outspoken now. Um, if if I was Hidalgo or any of those Democrats and they asked me what I thought about Mattress Mac pushing in all his chips on the Republican, I would just have this answer. Well, his bets never play out anyway. You know, I mean, you have, have you seen his sports betting record? It's not it's not good. He's lost. He's lost yeah, he's, millions. Of, he's such a homer. He's lost millions and millions of dollars trying to bet on sports and it never works out. I would that would be it. I would just say, well, his his bets don't pan out. So here's a different ad. This is one. And this focuses on crime, focuses on public safety, which has really become a, you know, a, a centerpiece of this race. Um, this is uh, an ad run by Alex Mueller, and it features two. Um, it features two women who are the relatives of, of a crime victim. And let's play this Mueller ad, Maya. Uh, this is the one uh, where you'll hear Mueller just almost shouting at the end that Hidalgo is disrespecting the whole community. My nine-year-old daughter, Arlene, was recently shot and killed. We were just on our way to dinner. Lina Hidalgo routinely used our story for her political advantage. We reached out to her multiple times and she refused to meet with us. No family should be treated this way. Lena Hidalgo hasn't treated this family or this county with respect. We trust Alexandra Del Moral Miller to be our next Harris County judge. All right, so she's not really screaming, but she's speaking very sternly there. All right, so here's what, and it's it's very much focused on crime. That is what the Republicans have tried to uh, make the issue in this race. Now, in her attack ad on Mueller, Lena Hidalgo, the incumbent Democrat, is focusing on some other things, Jeremy. And interesting, this is kind of what statewide Republicans do, which is that statewide Republicans will often talk about national issues in there and try to nationalize the race as much as possible. Hidalgo is sort of doing that in her ad here where she's focusing on state and national issues. I'm Lena Hidalgo, your Harris County judge. And the way I see it, I answer to you. My opponent seems like she only answers to Donald Trump. She refuses to admit he lost the 2020 election. She's pledged to purge our voter rolls. And she stayed silent when Texas passed the cruelest abortion ban in the nation. Alex Mueller's just too extreme. My focus is investing in our children and keeping your family safe. That's what you deserve and what I'm working on every single day. Now, in the ad, she does give a nod to what Mueller was talking about, right, which is she's saying we're trying to keep your family safe. And of course, the county judge does have a role in overseeing uh, you know, the sheriff's department, the constables and all of that. And Jeremy, did you see the uh, the news coverage in the Chronicle and elsewhere uh, about all those law enforcement officers showing up at commissioner's court uh, you know, in uniform? to protest Lena Hidalgo saying that she has, quote, defunded the police, even though if you look at the budget numbers, that's not right. But, but you know, the truth is often the first casualty in campaigns. I wonder what's really sticking with the voters here in Houston. Um, is it the, the nationalization of it where you say, OK, look, this person is for she's just a Donald Trump clone. Is that what's going to stick with people or is that they're going to look at the news every day in Houston and see that there are murders, there are rapes, there are crime, there are all sorts of crimes, property crime, et cetera, violent crime. I will say this, in covering news in Houston, 
for about a decade. This is a big city. It, and, you know, Houston is so big that Houston is an hour from Houston, right? It, it, it's giant. Uh, that's not my line. Someone else said that, but I, I, I found it appropriate. Houston, uh, people come here from a place like Los Angeles and say, Houston, this place is too big, <laughs> right? It's giant. <laughs> when you are, and I'm saying all that to say this, when you're in a giant city, one unfortunate reality is there's going to be a murder on TV news almost every night, right? All, almost every morning, almost every night. And those numbers, even if the numbers are down overall, you know, from let's say you're comparing year to year, it can still seem to the average person that it's just happening all the time because it's on TV news every single day, whichever channel it's on. And did you know that the, and I think they still do this for the overnight hours in Houston, and they do this, this in a lot of big markets, um, they will have one or two camera guys run around the city and they listen to the police scanners. And they travel over to they travel the city and they try to find where these crime uh, scenes are happening. And then they sell that video to the TV stations. Right. So they're all covering they're all covering the same murder in the morning. Right. So or, or fire or shooting or whatever. So you see it every single day. So I kind of think what's sticking in the voters minds right now is a little bit of both of this. Right. The people feel maybe that they don't feel safe in Houston. And at the same time. If there really are more Democratic voters in Houston than there are Demo than there are Republican ones, then I think the Trump stuff is going to stick with them. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there's a big change in this cycle versus the last time Lena Heldago was on the ballot. And that is there's no straight ticket voting. You know, back in 2018, a lot of people saw that, you know, the the voters at Beto O'Rourke was able to turn out. They went straight ticket. And you see it in some of the neighborhood data. I broke down some of the neighborhoods, like, you know, particularly in the Fifth Ward in, uh, in Northeast, where you could see that like 90 percent of the ballots cast were actually straight ticket votes. And so now what you have this time around, like, you know, Beto might drive huge turnout again, but now you're having those people go all the way down that ballot, which can be a three page ballot. Right. You're going through that thing. You're kind of voting on all kinds of people. Will those folks stick with it all the way down to make sure they vote for Lena Hildago? Big concern for Democrats. You know, they're talking about this a lot now. It's like mm -hmm. I was at one rally in, um, uh, in the Fifth Ward where they, they were trying to warn their people, we've got to make sure people remember to get all the way down that ballot because we can't give up the gains we had four years ago. We don't want to lose Lena Hildago because somebody got tired from clicking down the ballot. And, it's like, and so there's been kind of this new push within the Democrats mm -hmm. to kind of focus on their people and say, look, when you go in there, it's going to be different this time. But this is exactly why the Republicans did it. You know, they looked at the the numbers and they could see the straight ticket votes in in Harris County four years ago. The Democrats had a hundred thousand more than the, than the Republicans did. They just blew mm -hmm. them away. You know, from yeah. the you know from the very start. And so it was something they could never catch up on. But by doing this now, they decoupled that race. So you can't have maybe like Alina Haldago upset and, and Ebbett. You know, the next time round. Right. Yeah. And, and I do think that uh, because of the uh, structural uh, advantage that Democrats ended up enjoying because of your because of what you're talking about with the straight ticket voting, um, there, there was also a difference in the campaigning for the Democrats in 18 here in Houston, which was they all kind of kept their head down and just did the work. You know, I don't yeah. remember I don't remember Hidalgo being particularly a standout during the campaign, even though I mean, obviously we knew she was running, but I don't remember her, her being talked about as like this giant star and all that that came kind of after she won. And then people are thinking, oh, OK, she's a rising star in the Democratic Party and all that. And I would say, and this is not meant as any kind of a slight to young people or anything, but here you have she, she comes in and she's 26, 27. And I would say she was naive about one thing. And, and that is this one main thing. What I said before, just how nasty Houston politics can be. I don't think she understood that coming into this year. And I think when she sees those constables and she sees all those law enforcement officers showing up at the commissioner's court and you saw the video of her leaving the meeting uh, saying that she had uh, some illness. I think she said she had uh, food poisoning. Um, and, and probably was there against doctor's orders was, was what she had said. Um, all of it so personal and so nasty. People who are battle tested in Houston know about that. And she wasn't. So did you see where Mueller and Hidalgo were talking to the Houston Chronicle editorial board about a lot of different issues before the Chronicle endorsed uh, the challenger, Mueller, which is interesting. One of the things they got into is all the selection denying, the stop the steal stuff. 
And Hidalgo is trying to push Mueller here. We'll let you listen to this. She's trying to push Mueller here uh, and get her on the record to have the Republican just say out loud that Joe Biden was the winner of the election in 2020. The Chronicle wrote this, that somebody who who believes these election denying claims is is at some point uh, a concern, maybe even dangerous. And we saw it with January 6th. And so I want to ask if you will acknowledge here and acknowledge publicly to your supporters that is unequivocal that Joe Biden won the 2020 election. Is Biden fairly elected or is President Trump still president? I mean, you can't answer that. No, Biden's president. Okay. Yes, Biden's president. Okay. Uh, Hidalgo. And you got to look at the video of this. It's on the Houston Chronicle website and on on my Twitter as well. Uh, Hidalgo just looked horrified when Mueller was kind of dancing around this question about how the election went a couple of years ago. She said he is president. He didn't say he won. And the fact so that we've pushed don't it believe this far. That he is, is the president. Well, okay, he's well, the president. Anyway, and personally, I think the media oh had a bigger God. role than anything with elections in the treatment of the Hunter Biden story. I have not seen any evidence of widespread systematic uh, scale. And that's why I think for Lena, her role should be in Harris County, supporting the audit, letting people see. Yeah. It's a fair question. People want to know. You're saying you you've know. seen no evidence of widespread voter fraud. So, yeah, that and that's why I think it's fair that people are asking for an audit mm-hmm. to just put it to bed. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, wait, wait. No, I'm just saying in Harris County. In the Harris County, yes. Okay. Yeah. So what Lena is that not sufficient? She's saying no. I said I said acknowledge that he's that he was duly that he duly won the 2020 election and acknowledge it publicly. And I I, I mean I don't know. But she's gonna it's just I'm not well, gonna keep framing the exact way that I she's saying there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. So, that yeah, and that's why we election. should have an audit right. to that point so mm-hmm. that. If there is an issue, then people see it. But right now, wait, well, wait, you're, you're saying an audit. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm assuming. I'm state, assuming you mean the state audit that's been yeah, ordered for Harris County. Okay, and that's but why I don't say, understand. As you, county judge, why are you fighting that? Look, Lisa, we can disagree on whether it's enough. I, I don't think it is. I think. It, no. I mean, I that's never thought point, I'd be working on, on democracy in the United States. Uh, well, now you have to uh, after the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, working on democracy is a thing, Jeremy. Yeah. And, 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 you know, a a quick little info on just kind of how this thing works out. So like, you know, just for people who aren't uh, aware of how the editorial board process works. Now that is different from the Houston Chronicle reporting staff. Like we don't have any interactions with those things. Mm -hmm. Uh, But, you know, what's very different, you know, like editorial boards often have, you know, different ways of doing this. Sometimes they'll bring in the candidates individually and like sit down and talk with them. Like in San Antonio, they brought, you know, a candidate and then their opponent would come in Mm -hmm. later. The Houston Chronicle does a little bit differently. Uh, I've had other candidates say it's like it's like going into Thunderdome because we put them both in the same room. It's and more have fun. Them square off. Yeah, in front it's more of fun us. that way. Yeah, it, it definitely is like Thunderdome, right? You know, mm-hmm. in this case, you're going to get some fireworks typically from people who really just don't like each other, particularly at, to your point in local races, mm-hmm. people who see each other pretty regularly. So it's not like you can get away from them. So it's not like me, you're on one side of the state and the other. You're now right. in the room with this person who's been irritating you for six months now, and you're right. going to roll your eyes at them. <laughs> Let me say it this way, too. Um, not not only is it more fun, it's a more honest conversation. That was a real debate. Well, if you watch the video between Mueller and Hidalgo in front of the editorial board, that's a real debate where the debate, I'm putting in air quotes, the debate that Beto and Abbott had was nothing like that, right? Oh, I don't know where we got to this in the United States where everybody thinks that it's acceptable that we're going to ask you about the most complicated issues that impact your life and you're going to choose the person to address those issues based off answers that can only last for 60 seconds and the responses can only last for 30 seconds oh and if there's one more thing to say about it that can last for 15 seconds so and and you know this jeremy whenever you're speaking whenever you are a trained professional at communicating usually your point comes at the end of your sentence and so that's the part that gets cut off every damn time when they're doing those debates. Yeah, and I, I love when they go, okay, we'll give you 15 seconds to explain your Medicaid proposal. <laughs> it's like, you came in, and then, it's like what? what am I supposed to do with 15 seconds? <laughs> yes, please tell us how you're going to erase the national debt. 15 seconds, go. And then at the end, you're just hearing the bell, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> you uh, tweeted this out, I think this morning, Jeremy. 
what could go wrong? And this has to do with this whole question of democracy, voting. It's sort of the theme of the show here as we talk about, you know, exactly how the vote's going to go. Uh, we could have, this is how you wrote it, we could have federal monitors watching the state inspectors, watching over the county elections officials among a host of new laws dictating what precinct poll watchers can and cannot do in Houston, Texas. What is going on with this? Yeah, this is this is getting like, look, if this becomes a close race, particularly on the state level, uh, like I kept imagining, imagine a a case where the attorney general's race is decided by like a few thousand votes. It's like everybody's going to be looking at Harris County and including the attorney general, including the federal government. So what we've had here is like so the state is now saying, you know, know, we're going to have people kind of watching over what they do in Harris County because, you know, their audits have been incomplete in the past and where you have a problem with them the county saying hey what are you doing they're calling on the feds to kind of watch the state and of course the the wrinkle into all this stuff is like in all the polling locations down including the counting rooms and stuff like that the poll watchers have been empowered to have more access and be able to be more aggressive after what you know the trump and the republican world have said they needed more of and so now we have this like the kind of this perfect storm brewing of tension just all over harris county on election day and if anything goes wrong my goodness there's going to be so much finger pointing it's going to be so difficult to kind of keep up with it Right. And there's been a back and forth between the secretary of state's office, the attorney general, the elections administrators in uh, in Houston and Harris County. Uh, I saw Sylvester Turner and Lena Hidalgo and uh, and uh, the, the county attorney, Christian Menifee, saying they want the DOJ to come in and watch this after the secretary of state's office notified the county that they'd be sending inspectors and uh, and the AG's office would have a task force to respond to those poll watchers you're talking about, which I think some people missed this when they were looking at the story. And I, I thought some people were kind of misconstruing this part. Um, the folks were saying, well, they always have some, the state has some presence in watching over what happens with these, uh, with these, uh, with these elections. But it hasn't been the case in the past that the folks they're responding to are the kind of nasty people who some, not all, but some of these poll watchers will be right. We know what kind of people have been signing up to do these things. And we know this based on uh, firsthand accounts. And we see some things playing out in other parts of the state as well. I'll give you an example. In Bear County, let's go on down to San Antonio. In Bear County, the elections administrator, Jackie Callanan, says that her office has been receiving harassing and demeaning phone calls over the last few weeks leading up to the vote there in the Alamo City. They're demanding and demeaning and telling the staff how incompetent they are, that they didn't get this, their mail ballot in the mail, where is it? You know, we show the record, we can tell them exactly when it was mailed. You know, they're telling the staff that they're lying to them, uh, swearing at them, being very, very rude. She says they're very rude there, if you, if you couldn't hear her. She was uh, also saying uh, to reporters uh, at a news conference that what she has told her staff to tell them, uh, if anybody's being rude on the phone, is just to say, I don't deserve to be spoken to like this. I'm ending the call. And Jeremy, we saw in small counties where I think, what was it? Gillespie County. They have yeah. had, this is, you know, Fredericksburg area. Tiny place where, by the way, Trump won <laughs> and won pretty handily. There wasn't any question about the vote. If you're a Republican, there would be no reason to question the vote in Gillespie County, Texas, of all places. But they basically ran everybody out of the elections office there because people were being so ugly to them with all this stop the steal stuff. I mean, it, it has gotten to the point. I remember when the Tea Party first came on the scene, Jeremy, and it, it, the, the idea was that a lot of the idea was with the, with the Tea Party was that you have to agree with their position 100 percent of the time. Or you're a rhino, a Republican in name only. Now it seems like that has been extended to include election results. If President Trump didn't win 100% of the county, then there had to be some cheating going on, some malfeasance, because we're talking about counties like Gillespie, where I don't even remember the number off the top of my head, but it had to be more than 70% for Trump, something like that. If I'm any, if I'm nowhere, if I'm not right, y'all can correct me. But but Trump won handily there. There would have been no it would whatever the whatever the result was in Gillespie County, which I'm going to look up. It would be a landslide for President Trump. There'd be no no reason for you to be questioning whether the you know the ballots had as they were doing in Arizona. Some of these people were saying that the ballots had 
maybe had bamboo in the paper because they came from China. I wish I was making that up, but that was one of the conspiracy theories in Arizona that they were pushing. Yeah, well, and they brought in those 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 auditors afterwards who literally were checking the paper to see if it was bamboo, you know. Right. And I'm like, oh, I guess we were wrong. <laughs> it's like, but these are the QAnon type things that people are kind of pushing around uh, on that website, and so you can see how, like, it, the, you know, look, we. Like in Texas, we have a long history of people kind of accusing, you know, past politicians of kind of rigging elections or trying to like put their finger on the scale. LBJ, like people always talk about, like, sure. you know, like he, he got County. in on, mm-hmm. you know, some crazy vote in Duval County. Yeah, but, but, you know, this is different this time around. This is like, you know, because of what came out of the 2000, uh, 2020 elections, we end up with this situation where like, Every result is now in question in 254 counties. It's like, you know, like you said, it's like even in Loving County, which I think has 62 votes, you know, somebody's going to raise a question about, wait, is that accurate? You know, it's like, let's get an audit out there. You know, it's like the state's put on these extra audits, you know, having, you know, Ken Paxson, the attorney general kind of, you know, saying he's going to be watching and sending a task force out there. Then you have like outside groups. And, you know, people may not remember this, but like, uh, uh, Alan West, the guy who for governor yeah. uh, he has he has created an, an election response team that he has out there watching for funny business at polling sites you know in <laughs> texas uh, yeah. and so you have and he has other groups that are helping him on that and so you got a lot of people who are going to be hanging around looking for things that are wrong or that they can point to and you know you know if a republican loses statewide can you imagine how loud this is going to get you know, this is going to be uh, <laughs> I have this thing where I'm thinking, OK, you know, yeah, sure. You know, the election day may say November 8th, but I think we're going to be covering this election well into December <laughs> as we try mm-hmm. to figure out what the actual numbers are coming out of Harris County and other places that might yeah. be more competitive than Republicans want it to be. I'm trying to find it right now. I see Kendall County, Gillespie County. All right. Do you want to check me on this? I got it. I got the map. Go. Gillespie County. What did I say? Maya, what, do you remember what I said? For like more than how much? Seventy is what I said. Percent, right? Yeah, that, that's it. It was seven. Gillespie County was seventy-nine percent for Trump. All right, this was not in dispute, and it's fun to know what you're talking about. All right, the issue of abortion is sort of in a lot of ways, and I hear this from a lot of people now. Folks think that it's kind of moving to the back burner now that people, you know, especially women, very concerned about this, but it's maybe fading a little bit in comparison to the economy as an issue that voters are thinking about. But that doesn't mean that the candidates can get away with not answering questions about it. So I saw where uh, Jason Whiteley at WFAA, he does uh, their Sunday morning program there, uh, their political show. Uh, He was asking both Abbott and Beto where they really are on this issue. Because there's a lot of nuance to it, right? And I think, and we've talked about this, Jeremy, that most Americans, most most Texans are probably somewhere in the middle on abortion. They probably don't want to see what we now have as our law, which is a, a ban with no exceptions for just about anything. And people also don't want to just see what Republicans would call abortion on demand all the way to the end of pregnancy, you know, with no, with no, uh, with no limitations whatsoever. So, Whiteley asked... Abbott, who has, to your point, Jeremy, Abbott has struggled with this question about exceptions for rape and incest. And again, when Whiteley asked Abbott about this on TV, um, he's still not going to answer that. He's not going to he's not going to answer whether or not he would sign a piece of legislation into law if it was to change our abortion ban to include those exceptions. Well, listen, we'll see that there's going to be a, a lot of different proposals that will come up over the course of the upcoming session. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to focus on. Uh, and that is one, uh, making sure that nothing that Beto supports, like uh, abortion to the very last second before a child is born, would be allowed. Uh, even denying health care uh, to a child who survives an abortion. Uh, but second, Uh, Something that really does need to be done, uh, and that is clarify what it means to protect the life of the mother. There have been some comments and even maybe some actions by some doctors uh, that are are not taking care of women who have an ectopic pregnancy 
or who have a miscarriage. Uh, and that is wrong because neither of those two uh, are abortions. As I understand it in statute, um, that, that what he's saying is not exactly right. And what it, what it does is it creates questions for doctors about what they're allowed to do um, you know, in these instances of the ectopic pregnancy and of, of these uh, miscarriage cases, um, Jeremy, I mean, it's, it's an argument that Republicans make all the time, which is, which is this. When you add more regulation to a situation, it makes it harder for the business person to do what they need to do. Right. That, that they would say that about everything except on this. On this, there's just the right amount of regulation. What about Beto? Well, he was asked by Whiteley whether he supports abortion right up to what would you know, just what Abbott said. Does Beto support abortion right up to the moment of birth? Is that really the case? It's not the case, but it is part and parcel of Greg Abbott's strategy to try to scare people about his opponent because he doesn't have much of a track record to stand on. My position on reproductive health care freedom, which is that every woman should be able to make her own decision about her own body, her own future, her own health care, that is supported by the vast majority of our fellow Texans including Republicans in this state. And the standard that I want to make sure that we return to is Roe versus Wade, a standard that stood the test of time for nearly 50 years and was originally won by Texas women, including Linda Coffey, one of the attorneys for Jane Roe, who still lives in Dallas, Texas today. You said the other day, though, in Lubbock, I believe, that you'd be open to consensus, reaching a compromise with Texas Republicans if you're elected. Is there, is there an abortion law or restriction that you would tolerate? Well, I, I remember I, I remind us that we are starting at a total abortion ban, the most extreme in America that Greg Abbott signed into law last year that begins at conception with no exception for rape or incest. So there is a lot of room to improve. Well, and Jeremy, look, I mean, the fact is that you have uh, Beto not willing to say anything about any restrictions he would support. Abbott won't say anything about any, um, you know, exceptions that he would support. Uh, it tells me something uh, about the politics of the moment, which is both these guys are really counting on the basis of their party to get out there and vote. Yeah, the last thing you want to do is give any sort of red flag to your base, right? You know, so any walking back on either one of them means less enthusiasm. And look, midterm elections, you can dice it however you want. And granted, we have new voters coming in, like I've always said. But the, the thing is, it's still a base-base election. You know, midterm elections are more so. As the number of voters come out in the turnout goes up, it certainly benefits a Democrat, you know, in Texas, because that means more Democrats must be coming out to vote uh, mm -hmm. than they normally would, like they would in a presidential cycle. But in this case, you know, look, you, you just don't want to say anything that could potentially turn off your people. Uh, so you're not going to walk back, you know, you know, statements on abortion on either side. You know, because look, mm -hmm. you know, think of in, in Greg Abbott's case, the right to life vote uh, as a single voter issue. Those people are aggressive. They will vote for you no matter what, you know, if you're on their side. But if you start hedge and you start losing those folks, you're in a world of hurt in a statewide election. What Abbott would like to focus on, and of course, he doesn't want to talk about abortion unless he is asked what he would like to focus on is immigration and border security and the economy. And I saw where he was in. Uh, Let's see, where was he? He was in Corpus, down in Nueces County, which is going to become even more important in just a minute. Stay tuned here. Um, Abbott was in Corpus surrounded by law enforcement to talk about immigration and border security and about this, that this idea that Joe Biden, president of these United States, is not doing his job when it comes to our border. But the federal government needs to get under control. It's a signed duty under the Constitution and that is to secure the border. We're not going to wait on them. While, we, while they get in line to do their job, we in Texas will continue to step up and keep our state, our counties, and our communities as safe as possible. They must see something in the numbers, Jeremy, that, uh, that indicates to the, you know, to their, to their campaign consultants, you know, the, the internal polling for Abbott, they must be something, you know, they must be seeing something in those numbers that indicates that not only does this fire up the base of the party, but it also must extend beyond that, that you have a lot of people who maybe are those independent voters, people who might be in some ways open to voting for Democrats in some places, um, but, the, but that those voters do care about this issue. And when you look at some of the public polling, it shows the same thing. 
that it that it's not just the base of the Republican Party which really cares about immigration and border security. It's such a it, it's it's I've been thinking about this a lot because I've covered immigration for for so long, twenty years or so, and in its in the way that immigration and border security actually works, it's very, very complicated. It is so complicated that we could just sit here and talk about it for the whole show if we wanted to just do immigration border policy, right? It's one of these issues where it, it, it is so complicated, but at the same time, it's so easy to make it fit on a bumper sticker if you say certain things about it, right? I mean, the Medicaid expansion I don't know that anybody's able to do that with Medicaid expansion. For, I mean, that's complicated too, right? But I don't think you can get it on a bumper sticker. I'm thinking of some other complex issues like energy policy, which I don't know how you really get it on a bumper sticker. Although I did like the bumper sticker that uh, some of our oil and gas producers here in Texas, so remember they, they put out those bumper stickers. I have one in my home office that says Mid, uh, Midland, not Moscow. In other words, let's, let's drill here and not rely on Russia, Okay. But it is more complicated than that. But for whatever reason, immigration and border security is the easiest or maybe most convenient of the big, complex, gnarly issues. It's the most convenient to just boil down to a couple of phrases that we're going to secure this border. Um, people will say, what is it about illegal that you don't understand? And that's when I have to, you know, I can't I can't live with that. I can't I can't just pretend that it fits on a bumper sticker or that, or that saying, what is it about illegal that you don't understand, as if that's even a legit question, when, as you know, you can come into the country legally and then be here illegally. Well, that happens, right? If somebody comes in and their visa expires, right? It, it's very complex. But with this, they're hammering it and hammering it and hammering it, Jeremy, because it works. It has worked every election cycle for at least 15 years in this state. And I have to say, you know, I don't make predictions. But I would bet it works again. Yeah, the, this is clearly an important issue because, look, you know, like incumbents are hard to defeat anytime. You know, like, you know, we've talked about on the show before. It's like an 85 percent reelection rate for incumbent governors seeking reelection in the United States since 1990 ish. Um, and so, like, if that's the case and so, like, how do you beat one? Well, you typically it's about the economy. If the economy's bad, you you know, like you're, it's hard to take them out. And so Abbott theoretically at this point should be talking about how great the economy is and like you know everything's fine. But you see his message coming down the stretch is still talking about the border. That tells you exactly what you're saying, Scott. That this is a, a, an immigration type of issue that not just only draws Republicans, but the polling has showed that independents routinely make this the number one issue on their you know most important issues. You know, so you're winning Republicans and independents. And if if Republicans hold both those as like it's lights out for the Democrats. They can't right. you can't recover from that. The Democrats have to peel off some independents and moderates who don't like the you know the swing to the right. And if they can't pull that off, you know, and I think the immigration issue kind of hits right into that. And we've talked about it. People want simple solutions to complex problems. You know, right. build a wall is so much easier to say, but those are Cubans who are fleeing a dictator. And shouldn't we treat them differently when they get across and get them some services? That's a mm -hmm. lot longer answer, right? You know, it's like, who wants to talk about that? Like, build the mm -hmm. wall just sounds so much quicker and easier, right. you know, keep them out, send them back. Those are like, you know, that seems like a solution that's easy to do, except for obviously it's not when you're putting 10,000 men and women on the border, you know, to, you know, chase people who are just trying to yeah, get right. their asylum papers in. So it's all kind of a, a complex mess. Yeah, right. But again, you can't fit that into a TV ad, let alone a bumper sticker. <laughs> you know, it's like, how are you going to run an ad that says, you know, well, we, you've seen, you know, Beto, he's so nuanced in how he talks about his border policy ideas right. that it just, well, it's just yeah. hard to translate to exactly what he wants to do. Right. He, I mean, he knows what he's talking about. He's from a border community. He's represented, you know, El Paso, that he represented part of the Texas-Mexico border uh, in Washington when he was in Congress. I was talking to a good friend yesterday who said, um, and said this in good faith, uh, said, look, I, I, my friend said, look, and this is a, a business-minded person here in Houston. And they said, you know, I think that the immigration 
problem doesn't get solved, that there's no comprehensive immigration reform because both sides like to make hay out of it, you know, that, that it's a good political issue. And if you take it off the table, then what? Right. And I think there's something to that, but I would say it a little different way. I think that for Republicans and my friend's not wrong, I'm just I'm adding to it because that's another one of the things I do. I think for the Republicans, it is something they make hay out of because it is the issue that, like you said, it fires up the base the most and also gets them some of these independent votes you know, that puts them in their column. Right. Um, for Democrats, it's it's that it's that they disagree with Republicans on the issue and they would like to do something different. But it's not a priority for Democrats. It's a priority for Republicans who don't want to fix it. Right. They want to complain about it and they want to whip people up about it. It's not a priority for Democrats who will say if they're asked that they do want to do some sort of comprehensive immigration reform. But what are the priorities for Democrats? It's just other stuff, right? It's And this is not bad. I'm just listing them off. It's it's climate change. It's uh, women's reproductive rights. It's LGBTQ rights. It's voting rights. It's a whole list of things. Um, and, and immigration's in there somewhere. Is it in the top 10? I have to go look at some polling. I'm not sure. But the other thing for, for Democrats is that they – if, if this is a fight between – and this is the way that it's cast by by a lot of conservative Republicans. If it's a fight between citizens and people who are not citizens, a, a fight between Americans and foreigners, the foreigners, the way they would say it, it that, that would put Democrats on the side of people who can't vote. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so how is that a winning issue for Democrats to be running around talking about how we're going to solve uh, the immigration problem? It, it's not. When, when Democrats had the access to the levers of power in Washington, to all of them, let's say, let's go back to 2008, President Obama was there with the Democratic Congress, the House and Senate. What was the issue they tackled? Healthcare, because that had been the holy grail for Democrats for 50 years, right? They, they, we finally got the power to do it. We're going to do it. Politically, they paid a price for that, right? Fast forward to when President Trump first got elected and he's got an all Republican Congress. What did they do? They cut taxes for rich people because that's the holy grail for Republicans or one of them. And guess what? Then they paid a price politically for that in the midterm all over the place and because of you know larger issues with President Trump. But when you get into power and you have all the leverage – here's all I'm saying about it. Without even making any value judgments about those issues, when you have all the levers of power like Republicans do in this state, you, it's real easy to see what your priorities are because those are the things that you actually do. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I've thought about that, you know, 2010 race quite a bit of recent because I always made the point that like, well, when the Democrats are making overtures to people who are poor and who are renters, uh, those people vote at less of a percentage than homeowners as like in people with money. It's like as you can see, like they they're doing stuff for people who won't vote nearly as well, but is maybe the right thing to do. And the Republicans are like, well, let's cut checks to the big guys, <laughs> you know, and and you know, you know, cut taxes for you know homeowners and things like that. Those things that you know might keep those folks going. So you can just kind of see where it becomes kind of a economic thing. Uh, where Democrats are helping people who may not vote at the same propensity as a Republican, uh, you know, homeowner who has plenty of money and they don't care about extending Medicaid. Maybe they don't care about, you know, the the, you know, the, you know the people come across the border who just need food as they try to seek asylum from a communist mm -hmm. dictator. You know, they don't have they, that stuff is just not going to generate you as many votes, you know, for Democrats as they focus on those things. So. We're so close to the end here. You can almost feel it. And I don't just mean this show. I mean the election. It, do you feel it all over your body, Jeremy, that, that, you, that you've been drained by all this coverage? It's energizing in some ways, but it also wears you out. Texas politics is like playing in the NFL, right? I mean, it's full contact sport, bare knuckles, and it's exciting. But at the end, you are worn out. There's a reason you need a break after the election, right? So we're real close now. Beto, back to that WFAA interview, Beto was asked how he feels going into the home stretch. Early voting is about to start. I contend that on Monday, the election's basically over. That they really can't do almost anything else to to sway the vote, right? It's, it's basically done. Now we're just, you know, people are now going through their part. Journalists have done their part. 
The candidates have done their part. People will still be doing a lot of get out the vote efforts, of course. So that's just sort of the, you know, the, the, the work of going around and making sure everybody knows that they need to go vote. This is when the campaigns start to watch the voter rolls and start to text you because you haven't voted yet. And if, if you're like me, you get these text messages in Austin that say, Scott, you've got to vote in this election. It's very important. And I laugh at the ones that are still texting me after I voted because they paid for that. To, to text me. And that means they paid for a bunch of other people to get text messages. You, you got to look at the voter rolls, guys. Scratch me off after I vote. I'll probably vote, you know, Wednesday or Thursday. I will get it done. I'm in Houston. I'm going to, one thing I'm going to do while I'm here, Jeremy, is I'm going to um, drive, I think Monday, drive around to the Houston suburbs and see what those lines look like. Are people really getting out to the early voting locations and really, really getting into it? Yeah, the, the the ultimate place to go is that West Gray multi you know services yeah. center. That place, like you know, it's like you know like we were saying earlier in the show, there will be people lined up there at five o'clock in the morning, like it's oh, yeah. Black Friday, getting ready to vote. Like that, somehow their vote, you know, being the first ones in, you know, kind of matters more <laughs> in some way. Yeah. I've, I I talk to those people almost every election cycle. I'm not sure if I'm going to make it out there this time around, but it, it's like an event. They will camp out there. It'll it's like they're waiting for the concert tickets for that that big Springsteen show or something mm -hmm. going on, you know, uh, but it's interesting, uh, you know, and I got to add in like, you know, all this get out the vote movement now, not, that's what it's all about. This is the whole game, right? How can, mm -hmm. who can you get out to the polls? And that brings us to, to Donald Trump, right? Trump coming back to Texas, thinking that he can drive out vote you know, somehow in Texas to kind of help Republicans. But it's like kind of really interesting because you saw like, you know, he announced he's coming and, the, and Greg Abbott mm -hmm. sent out a note saying, oh, not going to be there. Sorry, I have my schedule conflict. I got to be somewhere else. So he's not mm -hmm. even showing up there. And then like even on top of it, you know, uh, Trump is going to like, Nueces County, a county that Beto O'Rourke actually won in 2018, which is normally not what you'd want to do. You don't want to send Trump into some place where he could fire up some Democrats, but that's kind of what's happening. Trump does his own thing, right? He's on his own. Like, he doesn't negotiate with anybody about where he's going or whatever. He wanted to come to Corpus Christi, make his stand. He's going to make his stand, doesn't matter what. So it'll be interesting to see if he can kind of you know drive up Republican vote and if that also mm -hmm. helps drive up Democratic votes somehow. So it's going to be a weird one to kind of watch. So keep, keep an eye on the Houston Chronicle over the weekend. You're probably going to see some some wild coverage coming out of that event. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll take a look at that. What Beto said on WFAA about the, the home stretch is that he, he feels pretty good about it. But this is, Jeremy, basically what all these candidates would say, right, that they feel good about it, that they have really done their job. Um, you know, we've successfully made the case that Abbott has had eight years and for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to get the job done on reducing property taxes or improving teacher pay at our schools or fixing the grid or reducing gun violence where we now lead the nation in number of mass shootings in our schools. And I don't think he intends for these things to happen, but he's just been unable or unwilling to make the decisions necessary to change them. And people in Texas now want to vote for change and something better. We'll see. If that's what if they want something different, it's it's his argument that it would be better. But we'll see if it's going to be something different, Jeremy, that finding out and finding and all of us finding out together is what this is all about. That's why I don't make predictions. So go, let's let's just let it play out. Yep. Is that enough show? Has the yeah. show played out? I think so. we filled up the tank. Yeah, so that's it. If you love the show, you know you do. You should be subscribed. If you're not already, what you need to do is tell three friends to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. Subscribe at quorumreport.com, houstonchronicle.com. Follow our Twitter feeds at Scott Braddock, at Jeremy S. Wallace, and we will see you next time.